When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's time to Take Command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome into Take Command. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. I used to cover the team on the beat. Now host the daily radio show from 3 to 6 on the Team 980. Logan played 10 years in the NFL. And he's uh, he's quite smart about football. You're going to learn something today. I'm hoping to learn something today, Logan. Because as we break down the Commander's win from this past weekend over Indianapolis, I am trying to make sense of this game. And it is yeah. not happening. It is not happening within my brain. Because offensively, where they score just 17 points, obviously the bulk of them coming on the final two drives, it didn't feel like they were inept. It didn't feel like they were stagnant. It didn't feel like so much of their offensive struggles this year, yet the production wasn't there. When you've had a chance to now watch the film, how do you make sense of that? What actually happened to those first three quarters? Because I feel like I couldn't tell anybody uh, what happened and I've watched it multiple times. Yeah. So I think, you know, you brought that up on the show. You just like, it had this uh, on the show on Saturday or Sunday, you had this like weird feeling to it. And I went back and watched it. And I was like, you know, they're actually being pretty efficient here on first down, pretty efficient on second down. They're doing a good job on third down. And then I think you get to like the crux of it and, and no drive kind of typifies that more to me than their first or or there was their second three and out or second it wasn't a three and out but basically what happens is they run a play on first down and they're in a decent situation i think it's like um you know it's like second and eight or whatever then they try to throw that screen that bubble pass to terry to the Mm -hmm. left and it goes down as a run yeah and it it was like a lateral and like dax mills doesn't get the block and the timing looks a little bit late and you kind of say to yourself uh did they need to do that there um and then that just kind of stymies the drive kills the drive because then it's uh, it's third and 14, third and 15. Obviously, you're not going to get a conversion there. They check it down to McKissick, and you're okay with that. They're in the plus territory. They punt it, and obviously, Indianapolis's offense isn't doing anything spectacular. The next drive, it's a very similar sequence. They're kind of they're moving the ball effectively coming out of their own end zone. I think they go probably four or five plays and then take a chunk play, and they're at like the 40-yard line, which is where you want to take a shot. You can tell Scott Turner's thinking through that process a little bit about I'm going to take a shot here, and the defense knows I like to take shot here. So you throw a screen to Antonio Gibson, and they sent the screen out, and it's second, and, it's third and 14 again. So those are the types of plays where you say this offense, because they have been so conservative and rightfully so, obviously you know you don't want to put too much on Taylor's plate, and they do want to be run first. They want to rely on the defense. But when you do stuff like that, you haven't cultivated responses necessarily for these long down and distances that, that happen – 
on bad plays. You know, it's funny, even on the, uh, even after the screen, right. They run the same play that Terry has the big play on in the first half that kind of all go with uh, a Zorro route coming across or like a zig route. Some people call it. And it's to Curtis Samuel and Curtis has cultivated the same type of separation from the defender. The ball's there. It's going to be another big play, and the ball gets batted down, you know? And so, mm-hmm. like, those are the types of things. And you kind of say, man, that, that's a pretty smart move by Scott. Like, I think I go back to the Chicago game when Terry catches that screen, like, bubbling out to the right, and it was like, wow, Terry's getting touches. This is great. This is so good for this offense. And they're running the same play, essentially, but they're doing it from a different formation, and it just doesn't hit. And now, all of a sudden, you get a lot of criticism, you know, addressed to that play. You get criticism addressed to the screen to Gibson. And I look at the screen to Gibson. I'm like, you know, I think Gibson's one of the most explosive players in the NFL. I want to get him touches. I want to get him touches in space. And you can make an argument here or there about whether or not it's blocked up effectively and whether the O-line is going to the right people, whatever. But I like the play call. I like the play call on the mm-hmm. screen. I like the play call there. It just doesn't fall for you, right? I even like the subsequent call that's going to get you out of that second and 14 situation, right? To Curtis, the ball gets batted. Like, those are the types of things that this offense just, I don't think, can overcome. So you get these kind of this feeling of like, oh, the ball's moving. They're doing some good stuff. But then it, t- it just takes one play to get you off track. And that's it goes back to our favorite statistic on this show, that if you are having a, you know, if you don't cultivate big plays, it's hard to score points because right. of if stuff like this. 15 yards plus uh, 55% chance to score. If there's a 15 plus yard play. Uh, less than or if it's if you don't have that kind of explosive not like massive explosive but baseline level explosive 15 plus yard play on a drive you're only scoring five percent of the time right and I think like that shows up that shows up with this team quite a bit and I think um, you know like I said they haven't had an ability quite frankly to overcome some of that stuff but that's true of a lot of teams that's true Mm -hmm. of Indianapolis that's true of Green Bay right now that's true of Chicago I mean there's only a handful of teams that can overcome those situations and they're some of the best teams in football Right. So let's dive in a little bit to some of that then, because it didn't feel like Scott called a particularly bad game. Right. Um, yet the production wasn't there. It didn't feel like Taylor played badly yet until, you know, his final numbers look great thanks to those final two drives. But it didn't feel like he played that badly, but the production was just brutal. And the screen game is a huge part of it, the failed screen game. And if you want to have a criticism of Scott, I would say like, why do you keep going to something that has not worked for you right. all year in the screen game? And I think that there's probably more criticisms in the running game as well, which we can get to right. both in selection and execution. So I will, I'm going to ask what sounds like a super harsh, harsh question, but I'm just trying to find out the answer. Why are they so bad at screens? Because there are some teams that are great at them. Andy Reid teams are always phenomenal in this regard. Um, there's plenty of other teams that, that seem to coach that stuff really well. Uh, Kyle and, and Sean seem to have a, a pretty good feel for a lot of that uh, in, in most years. But this team consistently has not had a screen game that's been consistently effective. Why is that? What What is missing? Yeah, so some of it's luck. You know, some, like screens are, are very, um, very up and down. But you can also create your own luck. And what I mean by up and down, so let's start with that first statement, is sometimes a, a big poor pass rushing defensive tackle is being lazy on third down. Whenever you're running your screen, he's like, I'm content to just stand here. And then all of a sudden his laziness leads him directly to a screen. And that happens more times than you would think. Right. Yeah. You're like, Oh, that big guy's not supposed to be there. Yeah. Right. And so, and again, like what I will say is when you watch teams that are good at running screens, you can tell they're good at it because they have contingencies for that type of stuff. Right. If the big fat guy's not going to move, like I'm not going to release the linebacker. I'm just going to block this guy. Right. And, 
you can tell like, cause the whole point of a screen is just to kind of rely on the defense's natural drop to create space for the back. And so when, like, for example, on the Paris Campbell screen that Indianapolis runs, man, that is executed beautifully. The defensive end gets a little bit too far up the field. John or John or Payne, I forget, but they actually read it out really nicely. But Quentin Nelson, who's going to the linebacker, is has eyes back on the defensive line. They call it a rat killer as a technique, right? And that mm-hmm. rat killer is sniffing out the guy who's kind of sniffing your screen out. And he smokes, smokes John, kind of plays a nice little screen and creates a nice alley there. The receiver runs off and the two extra linemen are on linebackers. You get hats on hats and he hits it. And so I look at the screen that Gibson ran, for example, and there's no rat killer there or the rat killer is a little bit late. And so John, uh, John, not Jonathan Stewart, uh, Rod Stewart, Rod, Ron Stewart. Rod Stewart's a singer. Grover yeah, Stewart. Grover Stewart. There, it was in there. It was in there somewhere. It was Stewart. Circulating you could just around. go with the last. Day. You don't have to pretend to go full name. Just, you know, uh, you could have just bought the big hog molly. Yeah, you know, number, I think that's, number nine, that's a number nine secret. All yeah, these say, say what you know. Pretend, pretend the other information is not out there for anyone to ever have <laughs> in, in, in its existence. Yeah, so he sniffs it out, and then I think Norwell's a little bit slow to kind of turn back on it, and so he makes mm-hmm. the tackle right. And again, mm-hmm. the, the other thing I think they could do a better job of is using misdirection. And what I mean by that is, if you look at the screen they run later to Armani Rogers. They're running off a counter action, which they ran earlier in the season against Jacksonville for a big play. So they came back to that. Mm-hmm. And one of the things about Armani is that he's not a big name. So no one's really given him that much attention. Also, his what he's doing on that counter run, he's on the backside of counter. So he's basically like just hinging and he's just kind of standing there. So it doesn't look anything dramatic. And the counter action pulls everybody away. The defensive linemen say, oh, shoot, it's counter. I got to beat the center across his face. So you're actually creating separation off of play design. The problem is when you run that with the back, the back is going to take you to the screen, right? Everybody's focused on the back. The back's getting the ball on counter, right? So Mm -hmm. I think that's also kind of understanding where the defense's eyes are and how do you manipulate them? So that's two things. One, a little bit of serendipity. And two, I think there's some technical things that could be a little bit better. And also I think there's um, just understanding the defensive rules and how to manipulate them because like that's what Kyle would always talk about on on it with his screen game specifically. It's like we don't want to run the screen this way because this player is a lazy pass rusher on second down. And he would actually know, like, down and distance specific stuff. We want to run this on first down, or run this on third down, or run this on third and plus eight, because the guy does this. And understanding your personnel you're going against, I think, is huge. So I think that's one element. You can just tell they're not they're, they're not detailed to that level yet. And if you think about the screen that they ran against the Buffalo Bills for 78 yards and a touchdown to Gibson, when was that, two years ago, um, last year? that they're doing on that play specifically, there's an excellent job of misdirection, right? Everybody's going to the left. The O-line's going to the left. The tight end's going left. And so the defense goes left. And then they say, oh, no, it's a pass. And then they drop out. So there was a couple of things they had to process there, and they lose the back. On some of the play action, uh, some of the screens they've run recently, it's like the focus is on the back. Like my eyes as a watcher, as a viewer of the play, have not left the back yet, and I can tell something's going on. And the linebacker is going to operate under similar premises. So I think that's part of it. And again, teams that are good at screens, they put a lot of time in on it, right? Just like teams that are good at running the football, they spend a lot of time doing that. So I think if you want to get better at screens, like allocate more time to it and troubleshoot some of these issues that pop up, um, that, that, that consistently pop up for this team in the screen game. So what are the alternatives then? Because, you know, if you're going like, okay, these are, they're, they're calling screens in certain situations. They're calling them as a potential shot place, which is correct, by the way, like a screen, a screen executed well is often a big play. Um, you you get that misdirection. There's a limited number of defenders in the area. You have blockers out in front. You 
ideally have a playmaker in space, and those can often be big plays. A shot play doesn't have to be a vertical pass down the field. Right. Um, it's just that they come just like vertical passes down the field. Those screens have a very small margin of error. Sure. Like if you hit it just, and th- this is actually something else that I, I'd be curious about with Heineke specifically is like the timing of screens is everything. Sure. And when Heineke sometimes lofts these balls out there on screens versus you see Mahomes rocket the ball on a screen mm-hmm. or Rogers or some of these other teams where quarterbacks can be really great with the ball handling and then fire the ball on time on target. Like, that matters as well. And so I, I'm curious, I, I, something that I know has happened this year, I can't remember specifically if it happened in this game, where you're like, Taylor, you got to get the ball out there, bro. Um, so that is, that's, that's I think, one element that, that I would be curious about. And then two, like, what are the other options that they have in some of these situations where they're trying to use screens to get out of bad situations where they could run something else uh, if the screen game is not going to be something that they, they improve on? Yeah, so I think in this game specifically, it's to me, it's a good counter to what you would get on a shot play, right? This is the team knows you're going to run a play action pass. And so they might be aggressive in terms of rushing the passer on this shot play, correct? So I think you're kind of saying, what do they think I'm doing? How do I counter that? And the great way to do it is with a screen. So I think that's something to, again, kind of keep in mind. Again, in this team, it seems like it has good personnel for um, to execute screens, but it's also understanding that offensive linemen play a huge role in screens. And when you look at teams that have good screen games, they have dynamic, athletic offensive linemen. And I will say, you know, Leno, Cosme, both good athletes. But as you move in, they have a very specific type of player at that position. Like Norwell, I think, has performed well, especially recent weeks, but he's not tremendously fleet of foot. And so, like, that does not bode well to getting in space and making these blocks. And, you know, um, uh, Tyler Larson, the center, uh, number 69, yeah. is a very big player, very physical player. I think he enhances this team in the run game. But, again, not very fleet of foot. Sadiq, Cosme, they do a nice job on screens. I think you go back to the Dallas game and see how they do getting into space. So I think you want to run it to that kind of athletic body and a guy who can change direction in space. Um, but unfortunately, they just on the left side, specifically outside of Leno, they don't have a lot, lot going there from an athletic standpoint. And then you have Trey Turner in. And I think Trey Turner had a nice game yesterday. But again, not the guy that he was three or four years ago that was fantastic on screens. So then you get to the running game as well, because yeah. that was the other area where I was I felt like I was pretty frustrated post game that when we talked on the radio on Monday, you were like, no, I, I see it now. I, I get why you felt that way. And especially by the time they tried to run that fourth down play to Brian Robinson, I'm like, why are you running it straight up the gut? Like you're you're running it behind a banged up backup offensive line with a guy that hasn't had a particularly fantastic game. Like B Rob was in tough spots a lot, uh, which goes to I'm sure what you're going to talk about with how the Colts played things and like credit there and how the line was blocking. But it's also the predictability of it. It's like it didn't feel like they had a lot of that game plan run. A lot of those those hey we have a or I guess like I would put it this way the week before they got in that second half rhythm, especially, and even against Chicago, they got in that rhythm in the second half where the run game felt unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Gibson here, Robinson there, you know, inside, outside zone power. They had everything and it felt like it was very simplistic and thus ineffective against uh, Indianapolis. While the past game actually did have a lot of that, which is why Gibson was able to get out in space a ton why they were able to get, some of the, that stuff to Terry, et cetera, even if ultimately the drive stalled out for the reasons that we talked about. But the run game and it, its inability to keep them on schedule and how it was called 
how do you evaluate that element of it? Because I feel like that was a huge frustration point and a huge reason why the offense felt like it was doing a lot of good things, but ultimately wasn't productive. Yeah, and I think that's that's a really good, a really good, really good point. And and so when you're calling a good run game, like you know, I've been a part of some good run games in my career. There is a rhythm to it. You know, like there, like you mentioned the personnel against Chicago and you mentioned the inside outside element. And then you also have to understand like what you've shown them and how maybe you can kind of play off what you've shown them. I, mean, I think Scott does an okay job of that. I think he likes to go tight zone to counter. I, I, I personally prefer like an outside zone to a counter, right? Because you can really manipulate the defense and create some more space in that regard. But um, ultimately, I think, I think there's, we knew going against the Colts, the run game was going to have a tough time. They always like their big thing is to be plus one. They're always going to be plus one. That is a, that's a Seattle thing. And their coordinator has carried that here with them. Right. And so that was going to be problematic. I kind of felt that you could run at this team a little bit more than they did. Trusting the tight zone, trusting the gap scheme stuff, getting onto Forrest Buckner, digging him out of there. And there were times where you saw that, but there was also times where they got too lateral, in my opinion, and they tried to run these toss crack plays that don't go for any gains. And I think you see also the defense adjusting because I think early on the, the run game was was not it was a little better in the first quarter than it was in like the second and early part of the third. Right. And I think a little bit of that is because like they kind of threw their punches and the and they kind of they they landed a little bit and you're like, oh okay, that looks pretty good. And then Indianapolis was like, okay, if they run this formation again. It's going to be toss crack. And you just see them running to the football, closing gaps, being physical downhill. And um, and again, like I think another thing to note is that they in third and short situations, the running back, um, you know, like those are not like high yardage situations. And there was a couple of those. Right. So I think that's also changes how you call the game in third and one. Uh, from a running game standpoint. So that's an important variable to also think about in terms of looking at the running backs averages. But yeah, I think, I, I just think this was going to be tough anyway for the, uh, for the offense in terms of running the football. And also I think that what they were able to get to and when they were calling it is going to limit the efficacy of those two guys. Definitely. Well, and that's kind of the, the funky thing about their run game. Their best runner on Sunday was Curtis Samuel. Yeah. And, and the way they used him and leveraged him and, and, getting him in different formations and using him with uh, Robinson, using him with Gibson really helps maximize all those guys. And it is the kind of thing that you wonder, like, you know, if something, I, I, I guess I, it's, it's a football philosophical thing, right? We're like, we have these game plan runs and we'll call them once, or maybe we'll call it twice. And it's just like, no, you've picked that in your game plan because you think it's going to work against a specific scheme and personnel. And I guess I just, don't understand on like a fundamental level mm. why teams don't do more of that stuff. Not that I want them to run Curtis Samuel 10 times, but if you have this quote unquote game plan run, something that is schemed up more specific to a personnel, to a, to a, the way a certain defense is playing you, why don't teams and specifically this team go to that stuff more often, as opposed to it being a change up based off of the same stuff they run every week when the defense knows exactly what's coming. So the thing about a run game, which I think is really interesting, is you have like your core runs, we'll call them in this for this for right. purpose of this conversation. And with a core run, you trust that your guys know how to block it versus multiple fronts versus multiple press, press, pressures. Um, and they, that's kind of your catch all right for when I was here with Kyle, it was outside zone. Like mm -hmm. he could call outside zone and we literally knew how to block that versus bear versus a three, four versus a 55 front, 25 front, 57 front, all those fronts. We just were like, 
Okay, these are our rules. Let's do it. And so that insulates you a lot as a play caller. When you have a game plan run, it's something that the offensive line and the running backs aren't as familiar with running. So, um, you know, just for an example, like with Kyle, we put in some type of bounce play where you're blocking down and you're pulling. And so we know how to block it versus kind of base defensive structures. Like we say, oh, okay, like if it's a, you know, six technique and a three technique to the play side, tight ends blocking down, tackles blocking down, guard and center are pulling. Easy. The problem was, is that if they came out anything different than that, we were always kind of like, oh, shoot, like, am I blocking down? Are you blocking down? Like, how do we get that done? If there's any type of line stunt or movement, it becomes way less effective. So that's why when you're calling these, um, you know, your game plan runs, you want them versus a very specific look. So if you start going to the bag on those a lot, eventually they become not explosive for you. They become very stagnant and it becomes very difficult to execute them consistently, right? Now you can run them more. So like example, like one of the fun ones is like the zone read to the pitch to Curtis. That's mm-hmm. awesome. You love that. But again, if if they come out in different front and you come out in that same formation again, you better believe the defense is going to check to something, right? The problem is you don't know what they're going to check to. So does the can the offensive line handle that? Is it affect the read guy? I would personally like to be thinking if you're playing chess, come out in that same formation, run a similar action, then run a pass off of it, right? Because they're thinking run. So that's how you would kind of stack those game plan plays is you stack them based on formation, not necessarily let's run this play again and again and again. And you see that like one of their plays that there is becoming more common for them to run is that trap with um, with Curtis out of the backfield, right? Where they like leave the three technique coming through and they crack the um, and they crack them with the backside guard. That's okay because in that kind of empty structure, they play very specific fronts. So you can get away with kind of more game plan, more Curtis usage package in those situations, as opposed to like coming out in base and being like, how are they going to line up and do our guys know what to do? That That is why you listen to this podcast, because I have questions that seem fairly obvious and Logan has answers that uh, provide depth and information and uh, make us all smarter. And I, Thanks, I appreciate that. At least, at least I do. I don't know if anybody else does. I'm probably going to take 152 calls today of, why can't they do this? But I'll be like, you know what you can do? Listen and take command, uh, <laughs> and, and then you'll get the answer. Take command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. All right, when we look at Taylor Heineke's day, how do you evaluate his ability to execute uh, amidst some of the problems that we described and ultimately how was he able to pull through those final two drives what changed uh, to be able to become so effective the entire offense really uh, where they had run just 40 plays uh, previously and let's see nine plus 12 21 plays in those those last yeah. two drives that is the extent to which we do math on this podcast <laughs> um, I will, okay so I will say even even though it looked like Taylor struggled in the first half, I thought he did some nice stuff in terms of understanding where the football needs to go. They're playing a lot of cover three. The ball needs to go to the back. You see explosive plays to Gibson early on. Yeah. And then obviously the explosive play to Terry's versus man and under like they get an empty. It's a really nice play design by Scott. They get to empty. He sees it's man. You pick your best matchup. I like Terry versus the nickel. He does too. Ends up being a huge play. Right. And then on the touchdown, they play cover three Shaquille Leonard, Gets a little, you can tell he hasn't played football in a while. He's a little tight to the number two in terms of carry. Gibson's open to the flat. Great job. Great job, Scott. Great job, Taylor, right? Um, so all good stuff. And then I will say, as they got into the second half a little bit, second half, early in the second half, um, the thing that stuck out to me is there was a little bit more pressure on third down and it was getting home a little bit better. And you could tell that they had really talked about Taylor to Taylor about not making 
bad plays, if that makes sense. Like he's he's being very conservative, and, and the Colts deserve a ton of credit. Everyone's blanketed, right? There's nowhere to go with the football. And so, again, that's tough. That's tough sled. And then when you get to the the last couple of drives, that dynamic changes. You can tell they're like, all right, Taylor, let's go. Taylor's scrambling a little bit more. The off-schedule stuff really just breaks the Colts' brain. You know what I mean? It just like yeah. they they can't match up for as long as he's running around. He did a great job of extending plays, finding guys. And, you know, on the Terry touchdown, the offensive line deserves a ton of credit because Taylor doesn't actually leave the pocket. I know it feels like he's kind of running around back there, but when you watch the L22, his feet are literally staggered there. He's looking. He actually talks about that. He's like, I went to go run around and realized there was no pass rush. So I'm <laughs> looking. Yeah, and he just kept looking, and then everyone's like, "Oh, he looked at Terry right away." He's like, "No, he did not." He looked at everybody, <laughs> and then was like, "Oh, there's Terry." Launch yeah. right. So I think that was a big part of it. Is as they were ex- able to extend the drive, the pass rush for the Colts got really, really t- tired. Norwell actually does a great job on that play. He's to the slide. I know we're talking about a specific play now. He's to the slide. The guy beats Leno. Um, the edge rusher beats Leno on an inside move, and Norwell's there to like knock him right in the teeth, and everything's just really clean for him. Again, that's fatigue. That's guys doing what they're supposed to do. But all that stems off of Taylor being able to kind of manufacture offense. The uh, like the concepts were there in some cases. Obviously, there's the throw to um, Cam Sims. There's the throw to Terry mm-hmm. over the middle. Um, there's the throw to um, Curtis on the uh, corner route versus man-to-man coverage on the fourth and six. That's all concept driven. That's good job, Scott Turner. Good job, receivers, understanding what's going on. And then there's the you know flip to McKissick on first and ten that gets you to a uh, second and four, and Taylor's able to scramble for the next first down. Right. So again, just a little bit looser Taylor, a little bit of off schedule stuff. I think Scott kind of had a good beat on what they were trying to do to stop them from a coverage standpoint, and was able to call stuff to put Taylor in a good spot. And then making sure that the concepts had answers versus a different coverage is really what was different, right? And again, in that type of situation, specific end-of-game situation, defenses become very, very regulated, and that's what you saw there. And so it's it's kind of – obviously it's multifactorial, but Taylor making plays off schedule, Scott kind of getting a beat on what the defense was trying to do, and then dudes making plays is really what it comes down to. Terry, Cam, Curtis, everybody really made plays on that drive. Even Gibson on the second drive with the two catches early to get him started – he makes yeah. a tough catch on that first kind of choice right off the linebacker, physical catch. Love to see that. So everyone was a part of that. Outside, Even Armani Rodgers makes a play. You know, on the screen yeah. pass, it ends up being a nice 13-yard gain. So they, I think Scott found a rhythm because he knew what they were doing. Taylor's making plays. Dude started making plays. And I, you can tell they kind of loosened the reins a little bit and said, we got to have it. Let's see what we got. And that's the result. Yeah, and I guess that would be my big thing moving forward is, and we talked about this on the radio on Monday, like, they're going to have to loosen the reins a little bit against teams like Minnesota and certainly against Philadelphia, teams that are scoring a lot more. Because what we're running into here is the fundamental butting of uh, heads between production and process, right? Right. We like a lot of the process. A lot of this is like, yeah, oh, if they had just executed a little bit better. But some of this, they they could take it away from this this tightrope walk Mm. if they were a little bit more aggressive if they you know they're they wouldn't make it so one play kills them if they they push the ball down the field a little bit more if they took some of the reins off of taylor let him run around a little bit um if they were a bit more aggressive in their play calling then perhaps if on a even on a day where you're facing the colts like you're pushing 24 30 points as opposed to scraping by two final drives to get to 17 and the game is a little bit like you're okay with a quicker three and out. And, you know, sometimes that happens, but you also trust your defense. It's giving up basically two touchdowns a game 
the last four games uh, where they've, they've had this winning streak. So I, I do think when you think about the complimentary football and where this team can go and with Taylor at the helm for at least the next two weeks, like I, I'd hope that these last two drives show them what they're capable of. And that there's one, I do think tempo is an interesting factor mm-hmm. as well. And obviously you're not going to get the same response outside of the two or four minute offenses you would uh, the rest of the game. So everyone that always is like, well, just go tempo. Yeah, you can do that a little bit and create some of those responses, but defenses are not going to be quite as simplistic, quite as uh, conservative and, and passive as they are when they're trying to hold on to a lead at the end of a game. Um, but also I do think it shows that Taylor can handle a little bit more. And with the defense playing like they are, your margin of error maybe isn't quite as small as you thought it was. And that yeah. that, that leads to better production as opposed to looking back at a game grading out the process decently well and wondering why they only scored 17 points and seven through the first three and a half quarters. Yeah, I think you articulated that really nicely. I don't really have a ton to add there. I think that's um, why they pay me some bucks. Yeah, I just I think they're they need to figure out this conservative versus aggressive game style. And you said something there that I'd like to just double click on real quick. And what it yeah. is, is, you know, th- you know, passing for a three and out and running for a three and out are essentially the same thing. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. time wise, they're different. They sh- one shortens the game, one extends the game, whatever. But in terms of defense and what it's the impact on the defense, it's about the same, you know. And so I think that that's something that I would like to see. And again, Scott, it's not like Scott did a bad job of this. They just had a couple mm-hmm. plays that didn't hit, and obviously that stymie drives this offense can't overcome that kind of thing, like we mentioned before. But they just, got a bunch. I mean, they were two of twelve on third down. Yeah, and both third down conversions were three and one. Yeah. Or third and one, and it's because they were in a ton of horrible situations. On th- right. it's not like they missed a bunch of third and fours. It's like, yeah. oh, they're in third and fourteen again. Yeah, yeah, and I think, uh, and again, the Colts deserve a lot of credit. They were able to create a ton of pressure, like right out of halftime. I mean, there was three three third downs in a row where they're getting a lot of pressure, and there's nowhere to go with the ball. So they get they deserve a ton of credit. But mm-hmm. and I, and they they kind of changed their approach a little bit. They kind of got away from the cover three, and it took Scott and Taylor a minute to figure it out. And I think that's appropriate. Um, gosh, for something else you said in there that I think was really good. Passing uh, and running third down or three and outs. Being yeah. More aggressive. It'll come to me, but yeah. So I, I think that that's something you'd like to see is just where do they fit in, uh, in terms of aggression and kind of being more chill because yeah, like ultimately that's the thing that's going to change your outcome moving forward. It's, you know, everyone talks about the defense and they are playing well. But against it, like look at so Philadelphia is a really good example of this. Everyone says, "Oh wow, Philly's offense is awesome. Philly's offense is awesome," but they only score between like twenty four and twenty eight points on average a game usually, right? It's the defense that's been very decisively in their favor over the last couple of weeks. Obviously, they scored thirty five or thirty four against Pittsburgh, but traditionally, it's not like, "Oh wow, look at that score from Philadelphia." It's not like you're watching the New England Patriots versus Randy Moss. It's a different dynamic. It's a defensive the defense there plays a huge part in what they're doing. And so I think that's another thing I look at is like, you don't need to, to, to beat the Philadelphia Eagles. You don't need to score 5,000 points. You need to score 28 points and your defense needs to play a solid game. And if you look at the first game, Philly only scored 24 points against this defense, which is crazy to think about. So where is that tipping point where you get the offense cooking a little bit more, they can execute a better against a better defense and stay and sustain drives and make plays, find those chunk plays. I think that's something again, that I'm, I, and I and Taylor's new, so it's like finding the relationship here for Scott is going to be very challenging. Like he is, but he isn't though. And this is this is. Kind I, of I guess what, I guess what I mean by that is like he's new. He's new as the starter this season. 
So right. no, totally. What, yeah. Like, what you is know the, what he is. Yeah. And and I hope that they rely on like this guy started started 15 games for you last year. And he, you've kept him around and given him a contract and everything for a reason. Yeah. And there's a reason he wasn't your starter, but you don't have to treat him with complete kid gloves. And I yes. think he's had enough experience at this point to understand some of the stuff that he can't do. I don't expect Taylor, like if he were to start the rest of the season, is he going to have an A3 turnover game? Maybe. But is he going to have six of them? No. And I think that was the fear at times last year. Yeah. And like you got to you got to know that he's going to give up one at some point. And hopefully it's not in the kind of situation that he kind of got away with against Indianapolis. Right. Um, but oh, this, this, gotta, this, this is what I was thinking about. So you mentioned tempo, right? Yes. And I think there's yes. times where this offense is so deliberate and you don't need to be in two minutes but you can be a little bit quicker with stuff. This Maybe we're not subbing this series. We're just going to call the plays, kind of get to the line of scrimmage a little bit quicker, five seconds. Huddle, huddle action. Yeah, right. It is, and you can huddle up, but just say, hey, we're going to get this play executed with 15 seconds on the play clock as opposed to five. And that it does stuff to the defense psychologically in terms of applying pressure. So I, I think Taylor actually does really well in this. A lot of quarterbacks do because the defensive coordinator can't, get the perfect call out all the time. So they end up going to default calls. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. let's, oh, uh, Tampa 2. Oh, Tampa 2, yeah. Like that's a lot of people's default call. And so you can regulate a team by doing that. It doesn't need to be, sometimes we, you know, me and you, we talk about, oh, formations and personnels and cadence. And sometimes it's just moving a little bit quicker to regulate what the defense does. And so I think that's something else that I, it doesn't need to be two minute, but it also doesn't need to right. be 1970s, you know, get the perfect, or, or even even a more prescient example, like the uh, the San Francisco 49ers in 2014, right? Where they, they get to the line of scrimmage, they have a thousand checks, they're actually, they're calling that play with one second left on the clock and they're running the ball. You know what I'm saying? It, it can be a little bit more up-tempo to put the defensive coordinator and the defensive play caller or the defensive green dot in a bind. And I think that's, again, I think that's a, a nice tool that they could utilize. So the other thing tempo does too from an offensive player's perspective is it takes the thinking out of it on some level. Like you're sure. not worried about a million checks. You're just like, you get in kind of a flow state, or at least that's the goal. Yeah. You yeah. get in a flow state and you start playing. Yeah. And like, that's when guys are at their best. If you're out there thinking a bunch, you're not playing, you're thinking you want to play, not think and getting guys out there. And like where, where the thinking parts, because like, obviously it's not like the mental side of the game disappears, but it becomes much more instinctual. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully you've got good football players where that's that's a positive thing. When you have the talents of a Curtis Samuel, the talents of a Terry McLaurin and a guy who's so instinctual and, and great as a playmaker like Taylor at quarterback, yeah. um, that would seem like a positive thing uh, for sure. Take a man podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That's Logan Paulson. All right. Defensively. Uh, they definitely uh, got lucky on a couple of occasions uh, where Sam Ellinger is the quarterback and, and a guy in his first start is not going to take advantage. But all in all, this group has played so well during this four-game winning streak. How do they keep this going, unlike last year's four-game winning streak, which was followed up by another four-game losing streak? Yeah, I think it's tough. I think um, I think the defense has been a little bit more porous the last two weeks against Chicago and against the Colts, obviously. Um, Green Bay, they kind of were able to bounce down the hatches, but I do think they missed some stuff and, and Aaron Rodgers missed some stuff. So I, I, I still think they need to find ways to mitigate the big play, you know? And when you look back at this game, big play was a big part of it. Obviously the, the 43 yard completion, Alec Pierce, the Paris Campbell reverse, 
the Paris Campbell um, screen that went for a big play, um, the defensive PI, the long run by Jonathan Taylor. I mean, that's five plays right there. And that almost shapes the outcome of the game if you don't get two fumbles. So I think, uh, and you get a great right. stop by your defense in a, on a third and one, Jamin Davis making the tackle, Cam Curl the play before. Love to see that stuff. But um, that's something that needs to get corrected. But from a down to down, like when you're going through the clips, they're playing really solid outside of five plays. So can you make that three plays? Can you make it two plays? I know you're never going to eliminate that from the from, – from, it's the NFL. Teams are good. They've got good players. Yeah. You're never going to eliminate that. But can you decrease the frequency that that happens? Because really that's the only time the Colts are able to move the football is when they were able to find and manufacture these big opportunities uh, for their offense. So I, outside of those plays, I think the defense down to down is – they're doing a great job, you know. Yeah, it's it's the favorite stat in reverse, right? If we yeah. if we make that a defensive stat, that means if you don't give up a play <laughs> of fifteen plus yards, you're going to get a stop ninety five percent of the time. <laughs> if you do, you're only going to get a stop forty five percent of the time. Yeah. And and so that is, I mean, I think what's what's scary about this past weekend with the big plays is they came pass and run. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Taylor got a couple of gashes. You have the big play to Pierce. You have the screen to Campbell. Like they came in all different kinds of ways, which gives Kevin O'Connell and his offensive staff a whole bunch of stuff to look at to say, oh, wow, we can exploit that. We can yeah. exploit that. Can we potentially exploit that? How can we get to the similar thing and recreate the same mistake? Uh, and, and there's multiple options as opposed to, yeah, we gave up three big runs on outside zone and we're going to practice that this week and things are going to be fine. Or we gave up, you know, in this coverage and, and we, we, we're going to clean that up or, Hey, Benjamin just had a bad day. Uh, we're really not concerned about it. There's a lot of different stuff that happened. And like you said, if there hadn't been those two fumbles, like this, they gave up, they gave up 24 easy uh, yeah. to, to Indianapolis. If they don't create a couple of fumbles, one of them is a pretty loose ball handling situation by Ellinger uh, that maybe a more veteran quarterback doesn't give you, mm. um, you know, great play coming down. Um, was it cam uh, who forced uh, the one on Taylor or it was a forest? putting the hat on the ball um, against Taylor. But, you know, at the end of the day, they get credit for making those plays. I, I think I think we can do both, right? We can have concern moving forward that they you can't just rely on that, but you also give them a ton of credit for a team that hadn't been able to force a ton of turnovers this year to find ways to do that and to come through in those key situations. And, and that helps you not give up a, a massive point total for the fourth straight week. Yeah, and I also think it's important just to note that this was an extremely, I know it's Sam Ellinger, but it's extremely difficult to prep for a quarterback with such a different play style from the original starter who hasn't played a lot. Like to come in, like I was expecting them to get some big plays off of just some random stuff, which is what happened. Like you said, some of that stuff is concerning. The reverse to, to Paris, like what's Jamin looking at exactly? Like who's supposed to fit that? Those things are concerning. But again, they hadn't shown a ton of that on film prior to this. So you're, it's almost like you're getting ready for a new offense. So I, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt in that area that some of those big plays came off of just, this is something completely new. And we had no idea that it was coming, which is totally true. Because when you watch what the offense was with Matt Ryan, it didn't look like this. Right. It didn't even resemble this at all. So, and dealing with a running quarterback, it challenges rules to the nth degree, specifically in the run game. Like the, the long run uh, that Taylor has is because, Casey Tool is caught in between the quarterback, the reverse, and the sift block. And so you're like, he's got three things to digest there. And most teams don't have the opportunity to provide that, right? They don't have a quarterback there. Obviously, 
Philadelphia, they're looking at this and saying, hey, we, we can run that. We have that play in. You know, let's do right. that. But Minnesota, different animal. Obviously, they have one of the best receivers in the NFL, but different animal. And I think a lot of the, the explosive plays came off of stuff that traditionally this defense would be ready for. But again, it's systematic because I look at Chicago, similar thing, a lot of big plays, right, off of some unique formations. And even Green Bay, the stuff that Aaron Rodgers missed, you're kind of like, Ugh, can we get that cleaned up? So I think, like to your point, finding solutions to fix that, but also understanding that this week specifically, this was a very tall task from a defensive game plan perspective. Yeah, well, that's that's definitely concerning, though, moving forward when you have Philadelphia again, when you have Dallas with Dak, a guy who can, can certainly yeah. have a little bit coming up. Um, I think that that is... Daniel Jones. Like, yeah, Daniel Jones twice, by the way. Yeah. Um, you have some of these these running quarterbacks coming up that I think are, you know, that that gives you a, a major pause for concern because you definitely got away with it a little bit um, against uh, Chicago where the point total is not there. Um, I got a great question on Twitter about some of this stuff that I wanted to pull real quick. Uh, Tom tweeted me at Hoffman Show. He goes, question for the show. Coach Rivera seems to talk a lot about the players on the defense not being disciplined and mm. following the system. Is Washington's scheme especially strict with regard to role assignments as compared to other teams? Do others encourage freelancing? And the reason I wanted to pull that up too right now is because I think that also goes into some of this like, oh, well, they got got by certain formations where it's like they know what to do against the basic stuff. Sure. And you trick it up a little bit and it's like it messes with everyone's assignment. And that's where some of these big plays come in. So is it something that's unique to Washington or when you watch other teams around the NFL and even when you watch Washington's offense, how they generate big plays, do you see some of the same struggles? And that's just kind of the nature of the X's and O's of football. I mean, I think that's kind of the nature. I mean, I think you you want to eliminate big plays. And I think um, the tighter the rule, the bigger, uh, the less margin for error there there is. So like, for example, some teams run a lot of cover two, for example, Tampa two which is great at kind of keeping everything in front of you. You're going to limit the, you're going to eliminate the big plays, but teams get dissected on that because there's lots of underneath space, right? So teams are kind of like, well, how do we get this over the top stuff and protect ourselves from this underneath stuff? So you play this match in terms of pass coverage, right? And when you play this match, like you really got to know concepts. You got to know how teams are trying to defeat your coverages. And you can tell they're getting, I mean, that's one of the reasons William Jackson, the third struggled in this defense is he never was able to internalize that. But that takes a lot of time. That takes a lot of reps. That takes a lot of technique-specific stuff. Because just as an example, one thing that Ron always talks about in our meetings when we're watching film is he's like, if he can make, if this linebacker can make this guy bubble over the top, the pass rush gets home. And it's a really subtle technique that if you're not looking for it, you're going to miss it. And you know, for example, Jamin Davis on um, the the receiver from Jacksonville, right? That he gives up the big play. He's like, look out if he plays this inside out and makes him bubble over the top and it's going to be a sack and Jamin might get a PBU. And so people don't understand that that's the level of detail you're talking about when you're playing coverage in the NFL. And then also and just like for clarity, that's everyone. That's not like yeah, specific to right, this scheme. Right. That's and it, it, the detail might be different, but the detail is there. Whatever they're whatever they're making them bubble over the top is they have something similar in their scheme. Um, and, you know, for example, like I think a great example is just like Devin White. He makes a ton of splash plays, but he's consistently the worst graded, one of the worst graded linebackers by PFF because he's freelancing all the time and it leads to big runs. So when you're playing an eight-man box structure, you've got these blitzes, you need to be where you're supposed to be or the offense is designed to take advantage of it. Ultimately, that's what happens, right? So 
you know, I, I think a perfect example of this is Casey Tuhill on that like little, um, you know, the, the zone read to um, Sam Ellinger. The coaching mm-hmm. point for the week is to dive at the quarterback and then dive at the dive at the running back, force the quarterback to keep it, and then take the quarterback. Casey takes one step too vertically, right? And unfortunately, the guy hands it off and ends up, ends up being a big play. That it's a step, and that's right. how detailed that step it is. is influenced by a reverse that's also coming. Hundred percent. And so again, when you're playing linebacker, when these people are in these pitch situations, you're like. Man, that's so tough, but that's the expectation for that group. That's the expectation for defense in the NFL. And so I do think it is – this is a defense that's challenging, but all the best defenses are running a version of this. And think about this. So one of the best defenses in the NFL right now is the Buffalo Bills. They run a very – almost identical defense to what we run here. But one of the reasons that they are less exposed in terms of run game is because they have an offense that's putting up – you have to keep up with them, right? So the defense says, okay – now they're out of the first quarter. This team's going to pass it 40 times a game. Let's get into our coverage shells and let the pass rush eat. And you get really good defensive production because you know you've made the offense one event. Your offense has made their offense one dimensional. Mm-hmm. Our offense does not do that. So you're constantly fighting with very complicated run scheme and pass concept throughout the game. And that's one of the things I'm always harping on is if this offense can tick it up a little bit, then those details can you can focus in on what you're expecting the game plan to look like about instead of saying, Oh shoot, we got to be ready for play pass. We got to be ready for draw. We got to be ready for screen reverse, fake reverse, all this stuff. And like, that's just five things, but imagine that going exponentially more as the game goes on. So I think that's part of it. And I do think the defense can be better, but I also think the offense can help the defense mitigate some of those mistakes. And that's something again, Scott Taylor, Ron, where is the aggression level that puts your defense who's winning games for you in the best position to be successful, especially against teams like Minnesota and Philadelphia. Yeah. Who can score. And uh, you know, that's, that's something I think we've been on for a while. Like complimentary football isn't necessarily like just turning around, handing the ball off sure. and, and then shortening the game. Like sometimes it's playing from ahead and making sure that the other team uh, is, is not being able to be in the position they want to be in, which is, you know, ahead and with the entire playbook, their entire playbook open. Uh, all right. If you want more from Logan, uh, YouTube, you can check out Command Center uh, from the Washington Commanders Media Department. Uh, Julie Donaldson, uh, London Fletcher, Santana, and of course, Logan. Uh, you can also check out his Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson 82. We are together on the radio on Sundays for Countdown to Kickoff starting at 10 a.m. So we will see you there. Uh, but first, we will have one more podcast this week on Friday getting ready for Minnesota. So we'll see you then. Subscribe wherever you're listening right now if you haven't already. And we will see you Friday for the next edition of Taking.